I'm looking forward to digging through this book today, uh, the book of Jonah. We're going to look through in the Deadliest Catch series, talking about fish tales and what happened to a man that was uh, swallowed by a large fish, and what does that mean to us today. And you're going to see each week, hopefully, that there will be something that surfaces uh, from the text. And obviously today we're going to look at this whole story. I, I'm convinced it, on some level is a story of grace and how God wanted to give grace to people that Jonah didn't feel like deserved it. And uh, there's probably people in your life that you feel like shouldn't get grace. And so we're going to address that day in, uh, today in, in a real way. just want to give you a, a, just an update for me personally and what, what's been happening uh, around here at Grace. Uh, a lot of your uh, teens were at Momentum Youth Conference. In fact, they're on the road back from the University of Pittsburgh at Johnstown right now. Uh, they'll be probably arriving back, I'd say, around two-ish. And 60, roughly 60-plus 60 teens from Grace went to a, a youth conference that consisted of around 2,000 people. And so they've been literally uh, challenged every night. Uh, sometimes they go to uh, large venues and have power tracks through the day, twice a day in large venues of worship and uh, of speaking. And a lot of our teens are making commitments to follow hard after Jesus. And so it's going to be challenging for them to engage back in the culture with their friends They're coming back uh, into the same jobs, same schools, same families, same parents, same siblings. And on some levels, uh, I really encourage you, if you're a parent of a teen that's coming back, fuel it. Don't suppress it. Let them them share and and, uh, help fan the flame in their hearts. And as you see them throughout here, as as you come and worship, make sure you fan it, uh, the the, the fire that's been stirred in their heart too. Um, Our... We had volunteers that left here. Uh, some couples even went with Pastor Rich um, and served alongside and some, some, uh, some uh, other individuals too. And so they gave their lives this week and so encouraged them too. And also uh, we were able to send our worship band uh, from the link. They went in and led worship in front of roughly 2,000 people and really led them into the presence of God. And so, and even a couple of our individuals, uh, Jeff Valderrama and uh, Chris Tucker and, and Scott Avey, our, our tech director, drove and made a road trip there to set up um, some props and some, uh, uh, some, some effects for the message that I gave on Wednesday night. And I love watching the church in action. I love watching people who just don't sit back, come and sit, but go and serve. And uh, that's how the body of Christ is designed to work. It was, uh, I, I was able to speak on Wednesday night, and many of you were praying. I, I thank you for your prayers. Thank you for uh, the prayers uh, for our teens, too. I felt like I jumped in the middle of something that God was already doing. Jumped in on Wednesday evening at an evening session at 9 o'clock, 8.15, and uh, I was asked to uh, challenge the, the teens to see if, if they truly understood what it meant to be saved. And so I went through the biblical understanding of what repentance is and what life change is and what transformation is. And... Talk about the, the realities of hell and of heaven. And um, it was an amazing moment uh, to get to the end of this message to, to, to challenge him, to not make this decision based upon someone sitting beside them. And it was going to mean that they should go in a different direction, that they should be Christ followers means you're going to be different. It's going to be hard. And we got to the end, and the worship team came out. And I just asked them to quietly just come. And if they're making a commitment, don't be concerned about what other people are thinking. And through God's power and through the prayers of the saints that went way before we were there, um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of teens gave their lives to Jesus and surrendered to him to truly trust him. And it was a a moment that 
um, God had orchestrated before the foundation of the world, and we just happen to be a small piece of it. But we're, we're rejoicing in that. But all that to say this, continue to pray for those teens that made uh, decisions uh, in Pittsburgh this week. It was an amazing moment uh, that we were able to just have a small part in of God's plan from a long time ago. But we rejoice in that. And some of our own made hard commitments. I saw teens sobbing, um, standing in line, was able to communicate and talk with them. Just brokenness and uh, repentance was, was evident. And uh, so pray for those teens. Today, many of us know people and have people in our life that uh, we're willing to give grace to. Maybe it's your own children. But we also have these people in our lives that we're not willing to extend grace to. Or we're, let's put this way, we're hesitant to because uh, we, they've done something to us. Or maybe, maybe they, we feel like they don't deserve it. There's a name in our world today that's surfacing. If you have, know anything uh, about what's happened with the Casey Anthony uh, Account. So it's a mother who, um, on some accounts, by most, if you look at the evidence, it, it looks clearly that something happened to her two-year-old daughter. And it looks like she potentially had parts in that. And so, as a result of this trial, um, it, she was uh, found not guilty. And a lot of things have begun to stir in our world because of that. She's being released from prison. And so there's a group of people who are angry Rightly so. Just, there's righteous anger. But anger should be handled and controlled. And so there's these people who are sending her death threats, sending her these, these notes and uh, telling her if she moves into their community that she, she'll die. And just yesterday, there was a woman who looked like Casey Anthony in another town, another city, that a car purposely jammed and ran into her vehicle thinking it was Casey Anthony. There's this, there's this anger. There's this, this uh, uh, desire to get back at her because of this potentially horrible thing that she did uh, to her daughter, which looks like she took her life. I mean, no one knows except for God himself and, and the child and, and, and Casey. But let me ask you a personal question. I'm going to ask you to really answer this right now in, in, uh, in the, the center of your heart. If Casey Anthony moved to your neighborhood this week, she left California... She decided to move in your neighborhood and live right next to you. As a mother, as a father of children, this, this mother moved next to you and decided that she was trying to start her life over and she wanted to come and live in your neighborhood, so she moved to wherever you live. She moved to Middlebury. She moved to New Paris. She moved to Goshen. She moved to Elkhart. She moved to Napanee. She moved in your community and she moved right next to you and you knew it was Casey Anthony. Would you go over and greet her? And welcome her to the neighborhood. Do you feel like that would be the Christian thing to do? I mean, this isn't easy stuff, by the way. I'm not pretending this is easy. Would you walk over and, and maybe bake her a pie and say, welcome to our neighborhood. Jesus loves you. And I love you with the love of Jesus. Could you do that? Could you walk? Could, and then maybe, maybe over the, the progression of time, um, you began to, to build a relationship with her through the yard, and, and, and maybe you saw that she had some needs, and maybe you're a husband, and you'd say, can I, can I help out with some needs around the house? Can I mow your grass? Can I, uh, can I help you with projects that you have? And, and, and regularly you saw these people flowing through your community who were throwing hate mail at her and, and writing stuff on her house. Would you be willing to stand in the midst of that mess and say, this woman needs some grace? 
Would you be willing to even go so far? And, and, and maybe she got to a point where she realized that, uh, that the path that she on wasn't a good one and she needed something to fill that void and she needed God. And she came to you and she says, I see every week that you guys leave like Sunday morning at a certain time and you go to church somewhere. Um, could I bum a ride with you? Could you put Casey in your car, drive her to Grace Community Church and welcome her here so that she could meet the same God that incredibly saved you with his grace and you didn't deserve it? Do you have it in you to extend grace to someone like that? Is it humanly possible? We're going to find an individual that was probably in a very similar situation. We're going to find a man who God had called on him and says, I want you to reach these people over here, and these people over there have done some evil, evil things, and I'm going to show you what they did to his people, to his cousins, to his, potentially to his grandparents and their grandparents and, and to his friends and, and to all the people who followed God and Yahweh. And God had came, comes to him and says, Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to give the message of hope and grace to this group of people who literally murdered your own. We have to ask those kind of questions because truth be known, God lives in us and the Holy Spirit lives in us. And every single one of us here have been given grace that we don't deserve. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It's impossible for the love of God. Nothing can separate us, the word of God says. And the word of God says that Christ went to the cross and his grace and his, his atonement was sufficient for all. So is it sufficient and efficient for Casey Anthony of the world? Maybe it's not Casey Anthony. Maybe it's an ex. Maybe it's someone in your life. Maybe it's an ex-employer. Maybe, maybe it's even someone that worships with you and you hold bitterness and anger and resentment and you've pulled away because of something in their life and you're waiting until they come to you because you feel like until they come to me, I'm not giving my all. Are you the kind of person that has so much pride that you aren't willing to extend grace to people who incredibly need it? It's hard stuff. Jonah was faced with this kind of hard stuff. And I want to give you maybe a fresh perspective of what really went down with Jonah. And maybe you'll understand better. And maybe you'll walk away today and say, man, I have some work to do. Every single time I come to this book, every single time I read this book, I walk away and say, man, Jim, you have some work to do. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Jonah. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. Turn to Jonah chapter 1. And let's read Jonah chapter 1. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up, and and the ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But when you find Jonah chapter 1, it's in the Old Testament, it's where all the pages stick together. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Stand with me when you find that, and we're going to read chapter 1. Let's read Jonah chapter 1. Read out loud with me. Ready, read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. 
and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. You may have a seat. As we look at this account today, we're going to see that there's a graceless heart about to be exposed. Are there people, I'll ask you again, in your life right now, that only you know, and maybe your husband knows, or your wife knows, or your siblings know, or a friend knows, that... When, that you would love to see things not go so well for them? Are there people that you secretly wish, God, just run them through hard times and just see if they really trust you? Are there people that you're not convinced really love Jesus and need to go through a hard time or you don't want grace given to them because of something they've done? Is there a sense where you secretly wish that things would go poorly for them? What is it that allows such kind of thoughts to run through our minds? Why do we get those evil thoughts? What, what makes those kind of thoughts percolate in our hearts? How can such jealous, evil thoughts come from Christ's followers who have the Holy Spirit living in them? There are many reasons, but plain and simple, we have the old sin nature that lives in us. And we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life in 1 John 2. It's those things that are inside us that we will battle the rest of our lives. But as we progressively get more like Christ in sanctification process, there's this sense where we become more like him and we begin to shed away and those things begin to to drop from us as we become more like him and fall more in love with him. Isaiah 64, 6 gives us a greater reminder. And just listen to this. It says this. We are all infected and impure with sin. How many would say yes to that? We're all infected. If you didn't raise your hand, you're wrong. You're in sin. We, when we proudly display our righteous deeds, we find they are but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and f- fall. And, our, and all our sins, like the wind, sweep away from us. One version says it this way. We're all sin-infected. We're sin-contaminated. Our best efforts are grease-stained rags. 
We dry up like autumn leaves, sin dried. We're blown off by the wind. Even worse than that is how we think people don't deserve grace, but we do deserve it. Well, God, I'm living for you. And I read my Bible, God, and, and I led this person to Christ by your grace. I happened to jump in the middle of your, your divine appointment and you use this vessel. And God, I did this for you. And God, I serve here. And God, I serve there. And so there's this sense where we feel like we deserve more grace because out of deeds. And we, somehow we get this all mixed up. Grace has nothing to do with anything that we've done. And yet God graciously gives it to us time and time and time again. Today, we take a look at someone who was asked to extend some grace to a group of people that had done some evil things, to his ma, to his pa, and to his kin. He finds himself in his quiet time, as you have and as I have, whatever that looks like, where God speaks through his word, or he speaks through a worship song, or he speaks in a moment or reminder, and the spirit says, I want you to do this. And so Jonah is in the midst. He's a prophet, by the way. He's the man of God in the community. He's the one that God would go to, and when Jonah would speak, people would say, thus saith the Lord. And so he's in his own. He's the the man of God. He's the prophet of God. He had a call in his life, an anointing on his life to share about Yahweh, to share about Adonai, to share about God. He's the prophet of the day. And God comes to him and says, Jonah, go to those people, the Ninevites, the Assyrians, I want you to go there because they desperately need to repent and they need Jesus Christ. I want you there first thing in the morning. Seems like, well, seems like a prophet of God would do that, doesn't it? I mean, he's used to doing what God had told him to do and saying what God had told him to say. But for Jonah, he's like, no way. There's no way I'm going there. Have you ever wondered why he didn't want to go there and share the good news? And so in in verse two, it says, Go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And so Jonah says, I know that God. So Jonah got up in the morning and he left for Nineveh, just like God told him. No, look at verse 3. But Jonah ran where? What does it say? Away. Away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish in the opposite direction. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to what? To what from the Lord? Flee from the Lord. Now, when I read that, I kind of laugh. It's like, you can never get away from God. Psalm 139 says, man, he sees us everywhere. If we go to the heights, we go to the, lo- the depths, he's there with us. And so Jonah is fleeing from the Lord. Why? Why did he run? Why did he say no, God? Well, turn over to chapter 4 and verse 2. Here's why. And we'll look at this in, in, in three weeks from now, but let's look at it, chapter four. Here's why he didn't want to go. Look what it says in, in, in verse two. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, this is not what I said, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a what? What's it say? Gracious and what? Compassionate God. Slow to what? Anger and abounding in what? Love. A God who what? Relents from seeing what? Calamity. It's like Jonah says, I know if I go there, God, you're just going to do your thing. You're going to give them grace and you're going to love them like I don't want to love them. And you're going to give them mercy and I don't want to give them mercy. I didn't have my second coffee yet. God, I'm not going there. 
He didn't want to go there because he knew if they heard the gospel, there was a chance that they would repent and they would turn towards God and he wasn't no way going to be able to be the messenger of that hope. He didn't want them to have that relationship with God, nor did he want to spend eternity with a bunch of people who did some evil things to his family. See, he had vested interests in these Ninevites. He had family and relatives that were killed by the Assyrians. Now listen, I want to explain something about the Assyrians. They were the most vile, cruel army that lived during this time. In fact, if you study back and you go to historical accounts, and there's all kinds of books that you can go to, history books, and you look at some of the things that the Assyrians, the Ninevites, did to Jonah's people and other armies during that time when there were supposed to be peace treaties and they were supposed to, to take the soldiers and just keep them in refugee camps and not do anything to them, the Ninevites and the Assyrians, they did whatever they wanted with them. And everyone knew it. And now God says, I want you to go to these people. In fact, let me read a, a little bit about some of the kings that ruled during this time. These were Assyrian kings. Now, Jonah was aware of who they were. God is asking him to go to these people who did these kind of things and give the good news. Listen to some of the kings that were in Nineveh and lived during Jonah's time and before his time. Listen to some of their conquests. This comes from historical accounts. Here's one king. This is historical account. Ashurnasapul says this. I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountains, I slaughtered them. With their blood, I dyed the mountain like red wool. The heads of their warriors, I cut off. And I formed them into a pillar over against their city. Their young men and their young maidens, I burned in the fire. I filleted them alive. Their skin I spread upon the wall of the city. He also wrote of mutilating the bodies of live captives and stacking their corpse in piles. And now God comes to Jonah and says, go give the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you see maybe why he, his human side said, no, I'm not going there. Listen to another king during this time. King Shalemezer II boasted of his cruelties. He says, a pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city. Their youth and their maidens I burn up in flames. I cut their throats like lambs. I cut off their precious lives as one cuts a string. Like the many waters of a storm, I made the contents of their gullets, entrails run down upon the wide earth. Their hands I cut off. And God says, go to those people because they need grace. Jonah says, no way. There's no way I'm going there. Because... For him, it was, it was a reminder of those were his relatives. Those were people of God. Those were the people that he knew. And now God says, get up and go. One other king says this. Ashurnabal says this. I pierced his chin with my keen hand dagger. Through his jaw, I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon a, a of him and made him occupy a kennel and on stakes I stripped off their skins and covered the city with them. God says, go to those people. They deserve grace. Listen, they took people and wrote 
took daggers through their chins and put a rope in them and, and put them on dog kennels. And those were Jonah's people. Those were followers of God. And now God says, they deserve compassion. They deserve mercy. I'm going to give it to them. Church, that's incredible grace. It's not the kind that you just say, okay, God, just go. And so maybe there's a side of you that says, I understand why Jonah didn't want to go. But truth be known is this. There is no one outside of the, the, the scope of grace in our world. Jesus died for everyone. And his grace is good, as good for you as it is for the most vilest person who has ever lived. It's not up to us to choose and determine who we give grace to. But listen, we do. And some of you right now are refusing to give grace to someone. And if you're real honest, open up your heart. There's a part of you that's holding something against someone or some group of people. And you say, no way, Jim, or some ex. They don't deserve grace. They did this, they did that, they did this. Let's just get rid of them. And it's so easy to wash your hands clean and throw away people and throw away relationships and throw away communities and think that if we start over, it'll be better. Listen, you need to deal with that and give them grace before you move on. It's not easy, though. Some of you in this room today, some of you have stuff against me and against people in this place. And you hold it, but you don't, you don't speak about it. But inside, if you open you up, it's like, well, oh, I... I this and that, and I can't believe this and that. I can't believe she did that and she did that. And so you, you, you withheld love to them. And you withheld serving. And you withheld giving your all because you're just waiting for your chance to let them see them fail. And then you'll say, I wanted to show you. I told you. I knew. Listen, grace should be given regardless. Jonah said, no way, God. They don't deserve a free ticket to heaven. They have done way too much evil to be offered grace. Can I ask you, is there, is there too much that we could ever do outside of blaspheming the Holy Spirit? I don't see it in Scripture. The only thing that I see that, that would keep you separated from God is when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Other than that, I see God willing, open, say, hey, if you want to come, come. If you want to repent, repent. If you have junk in your past, listen, and you want to deal with it and give it over and come to me, come. Arms wide open, I'm waiting for you. What would happen if we were a community of people who received everyone that way, the Casey Anthonys of our world? And we didn't have this grid that said, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jim. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. What if we just give grace and let God deal with the consequences and everything else? I would tell you what happened. People would run to Jesus Christ because it's not something they see every day. Are there people in your life right now, if your heart was opened up, that you are angry, resentful, you're holding bitterness towards? And truth be known, you don't want to give them grace. See, it's not our job to seek revenge. That's God's job. And by the way, he does a pretty good job of it. He's willing that none should perish, 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us. He's willing, not only willing, he's wanting that none should perish. If a perfect God is willing, then where does that leave us? You see, when Jesus went and shed his blood, he didn't have a list. And he said, I'm dying for Jim and, and 
and Jeff and, and Kim and Megan and Alice. These are the ones I'm dying for. No, his blood was sufficient for all. Grace will hunt you down too. God's not gonna give up on Jonah. Jonah finds himself on the way out far away from God. And he's glad. Can you picture him? He's like, finally, there's no way, God. He gets in the bottom of this boat and he goes down below and he's on this cot. He's sleeping down below. He's feeling pretty good because he's tired. He's thinking, if I close my eyes, everything will go away. Don't we do that? Where's your hideout from God? It's like, oh, if I can get away, just go to that happy place. I don't have to think about them or I don't have to think about that group. And it's like, he was in his happy place. He was sleeping. All of a sudden, the boat started rocking. God's going to come after him. He wasn't giving up on Jonah or those people. Part of the problem is this. Most of us struggle with labeling people. We have these, well, I remember when they did this, and I remember that. And so, and so before we engage them in conversation, you know what we do? We put a label on them. It's like, well, I know. Yeah, I know. I just want to let you know, you're, you're divorced, but go ahead and tell me what you want to tell me. <laughs> It's like somehow we're glad that they have these labels. Somehow we feel better about ourselves. And, and we remember dates. Like, oh, I remember on 9-384. Go ahead. Tell, what did you say about Jesus? And, and it's like, you like to bring up what they did in the past. Or maybe it's another date. It's like, oh, yeah, remember on that date you did that? And so we like labeling people. We feel better about ourselves. And it's like, we carry all these labels where you let me down. And where there was this anger meltdown, alcoholic, druggy. It's like, now tell me, what were you saying? It's like, we love this. Like, before they talk, we just love pulling out people's past and holding it against them. And I want to say, listen to me. Didn't Jesus die for all that? What right do we have to continue labeling people when Jesus said, cleanse, forgiven, gone? But we like, we love it. We love it. Label, and it's like, man, I like labels, so it makes me feel good about myself. At least I didn't do that. Grace will hunt you down. Jonah's about to get hunted down by God. Watch in verse four. It says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm rose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a sleep. God stirs the storm. In fact, the word sent in Hebrew means to hurl. Just picture God saying, all right, Jonah, where do you think you're going? Just picture him from heaven. <gasps> Hurling and getting that storm. And these veteran sailors, it says, they were afraid because they hadn't seen a storm like this. And then verse six, look, it says in verse six, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and he will not, we will not perish. Verse seven, then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. They tried everything they could to figure out what was going on. They were scared to death. Now listen, these were veteran sailors. This wasn't Tom Hanks and Castaway. These were veteran sailors who had experienced storms. and They're throwing cargo onto the sea and they know something's up. And so they cast lots and I don't... There's a variety of ways that they cast lots. Wouldn't be much different today. God used whatever means. It's like rock, paper, scissors, and they kept coming back to Jonah. I mean, there it was. He, he kept winning. He kept, and it's like, all right, you're the cause of this. God's trying to get Jonah's attention. Not only does he want to get his attention to rescue the Ninevites, but he has in mind to rescue even and save the sailors that would potentially jump into his own calamity and die. 
You can't outrun God. Sooner or later, he'll hunt you down. Sooner or later, you'll be broken. If you're not broken now, sooner or later, you'll be broken over these people. And when you are broken for God, that's when you are used by God. Listen, you will never fully achieve nor receive or get to your full redemptive potential in Christ unless you let go of some of these things that you're holding on to, some of these events, some of these people, and extend them some grace and say, I forgive you, I will move on. I will not let this limit all that I can be in Christ. Jonah's letting this group of people potentially rob him of the calling of God on his life. Verse eight says this. So they ask him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? Question mark. What do you do? Question mark. Where do you come from? Question mark. What is your country? Question mark. From what people are you? Question mark. Can you see them? They're all staring at him and the boat's rocking. Dude, what did you do? We haven't seen anything like this and we're veteran sailors. Boy, let's hear it. What did you do that caused this? Every eye was upon him as these questions were thrown at him. And so Jonah says this, verse nine. Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, Adonai, capital L, the God of heaven, Yahweh, who made the sea and the land. They worship little gods. Isn't it interesting that Jonah is willing to share the gospel to sailors that he has no input with or even knows at all, and he's, yet he's not willing to go to a group of people who need the gospel. I mean, God even used him in his worst state to share the gospel. I love when the Bible tells God uses the foolish to shame the wise. Every time I think about this, I think this foolish condition that Jonah's in, he's sharing the gospel in that condition. God even gets the gospel out in Jonah's worse. Jonah thought about his evangelism days. God never misses an opportunity to reach lost people. Never, 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 never. That's the message of the New Testament. That's the prophetic word of of the Old Testament. That's why Christ came, to give the gospel so that people can know him. It's the whole picture of the Bible. And if you ever get to a point where you stop sharing your faith, you gotta ask this question, does the living God live in me? Because Christ's followers tell other people about Christ. Read on with me. Look at verse 10. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done, big boy? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah said, pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. There's a lot of irony taking place here. Jonah is willing to die to save these sailors because he knows if they throw him over, the storm will stop and these sailors will be saved. Yet he isn't willing to live so that he can save the Ninevites by God's power. Isn't it interesting? He once again has chosen, I'll reach them, God, but I'm not reaching them. What right do we have as followers of Christ to determine who we'll give grace to? You will never fully reach your potential until you are willing to reach everyone, even those that have done horrible, horrible things to you. These guys also want to save his life 
And Jonah isn't willing to save the Ninevites' life. So they, life. So they ask him, dude, what can we do to save you and to save us? Look at verse 13. Look what they do. Jonah says, throw me into the sea. What's the first word of chapter 13? Read it with me. Ready, read. Instead. Listen, these guys worship little G, little gods. They still find him valuable enough to try to save. And yet, they're not even Christ followers or Yahweh followers. They demonstrate more grace than Jonah was willing to do for people that he knew. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Verse 14, then they cried to the capital Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Listen, these guys, some of them, I'm convinced, not all of them because they worship, they plural gods. Some of them, I'm convinced, even in Jonah's worst time, even when he was hesitant to be an evangelist and share the gospel, like we're supposed to share the gospel, God still used his message potentially to save some of these sailors. Verse 15, look what happens next. They took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. Look what happens to the men after this. And the men greatly what? What's the word? Feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. See, God is a God of second chances. Even to the person who has walked away from God, God still wants, still wants to use them. Even us, even in our sinful state, God still wants to give us grace even if we're not willing to give grace to others. He calls in the rescue squad. And so God's thinking, now how can I save Jonah? Jonah's overboard, flopping around. In the, just like if you're watching Deadliest Catch and, and one of the guys goes overboard, he's flopping around. And when's the last time you saw a big fish come up and swallow a guy? You haven't. So look what happens next. But the Lord did what? What's the word? Provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Try to picture this if you can. Jonah's aimlessly flopping around the sea. He's thinking, finally, I can get away. And the storm is calm. And so he's just floating around now. And he's like, finally, I would rather die. I would rather die than go give the gospel to the Syrians. And the sailors are relieved because the storm has stopped raging. And so it says that the sea's calmed. And so Jonah was probably able to see what was around him now. And then out of nowhere, he's like, I don't even care if I die. At least the Ninevites won't be saved. And then all of a sudden, he sees this large fish with this big mouth coming at him. I'm convinced he saw it because the sea is calm. And then he went into this belly of this great fish. Picture him aimlessly floating around for three days and three nights. Do you think he had some God times? Because somehow we know that subconsciously or consciously, he was alive. Someone say, how do you know Jonah lived? Well, listen, if Jonah didn't live, then we wouldn't have the book of Jonah. Someone told this story. So he's in there and it's like God pulled him away. I need to pull you away. You need to rethink this. So Jonah's like, can you imagine this? The seaweed and the squid and the fishies are coming by him. It's like, man, maybe this wasn't a good choice. And so for three days, he, he was in the, 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 the 
belly of this great fish, Scripture says, thinking and wondering about his decision. Sometimes time all by yourself gives you a chance to rethink what your heart is telling you. Do you realize it is possible to live inside of a fish for those of you who need facts? Well, it's hard to believe. Jim, how can we believe a story where a fish came? <laughs> Come on. This part of it, that's, our, our walk is by faith. There's people who would look at this book. There's people in this community, churches in this community, believe this is a fable or a myth, or it's, an, it's a, a metaphor for what took place. Let me tell you, this is a literal account of a literal man and a literal God who rescued him with a literal fish. The Princeton Journal in 1927 gives record of a 15-foot shark being found in a great sperm whale, and it lived. In 1891, the Falkland Islands, a man survived 36 hours inside of a sperm whale. It took him two weeks to recover. In 1771, the Boston Post reports a man, Marshall Jenkins, swallowed by a great white shark, but not seriously injured. In Jonah chapter 1, in verse 1 through 17, reports that a man by the name of Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And in Jonah chapter two and three and four, it says he lived. But why? Because God loved his people so much. And he loved Jonah so much. And he loves you so much that he will go to extreme effort to show you his grace. Listen to me, church. It's not our problem to determine who or who should not get grace. It's our awesome privilege to just give it to everyone. God, help us today. Help us today to understand grace. God, I pray we would quit labeling people and quit categorizing people and just give grace. Your grace is so amazing, God. Every single one of us is not deserving of this salvation. It's so rich and so free, but we take it, we receive it, and we bask in the glory of it. Who are we to determine who should or should not get grace? God, convict us today. God, help us go to people and say, let's try again. I'm sorry. Help us, God, to be people of grace, please. Lord, if we became a community of grace like this, the world would run to you. Because every day and every hour and every week and every month, people are paid back what they've given in. Oh, God, help us to be Christ followers who extend grace and understand what we have been saved from. When we understand how grace has saved us and set us free, we give it freely. God, help us to give it even if it costs us something. In Jesus' name, amen.